can see it in the movies, in the paper, and the TV news. Somebody's army is always on the move. There's gonna be a battle. The lines have been drawn. They got guns and tanks and planes. The wells are gone dry and the water is bad and the air is acid rain. Hello, everyone. My name is Shell Wagner, and I am so glad you came to join me today. This is a edition of Reports from Under the Desk, and what we're going to be talking about today is getting ready. You know, normally I like to do stuff about, you know, news things or current events on here. Well, this is a current event for the household of Yasharel. <laughs> the current event is the season that we are in known as Teshuva. Hello, Laura Lee. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's always good to see a friendly face. <laughs> All righty. Um, so I'm going to just go ahead and begin sharing with you about this right away because I kind of have a long document and I wanted you to know that also I want to share one other thing with you. This is about preparing for the fall feast. This is what this entire thing is about today. But also I wanted you to know that everything that I'm going to share today, this beautiful website that James Carruthers has created and all these beautiful icons that you see that Catherine Hood has created, you can find everything right here um, in our website. Let me see if I could move this for just a moment. So the, what I wanted to show you, I'm not sure you can see it, but there's home, our mission, programs, media, and then the next tab over here is resources. And when I click on this resources tab, let me see if I can switch one thing so you guys can see something a little better. Let me just remove that. Yeah. Okay. Now you can see. So um, home, mission, our mission, the programs the, and the resources. So when you go to the resources tab and then scroll down, when you can see there's some wonderful resources on here, there's a names chart, like how do we get to things? Um, Catherine Hood totally created this one, our Olive Bet chart. Um, the priestly blessings, you know, with the song lyrics so that you can begin to sing it. And let me go down here. Our, our feast, our appointments, our weekly show schedule. And then what I'm going to be going over today is this 13-page document that we put on here. I'm trying to write some more articles, take the time to do that. And I write them. And then Kat made it absolutely lovely. And then James added it to the site. So you can find the written part of what I'm going to be going over. And I just wanted you to know that, but I'm going to use this because I can see it a little better and I've been able to, you know, make it big so that I can actually read it with my eyes. <laughs> Alrighty. So this is all about preparing ourselves for this fall season. So it starts really when we hit the new moon of Elul, um, the biblical day that the first feast that's coming up next for us and 
It is coming up and I'm going to give this disclaimer of, here we go. I am reporting information. You decide whether that information is right for your life. Okay. I'm giving you my current understanding. I'm going to report it. You go make a decision about it. We're not trying to put anything on anyone. Okay. We don't do that at Heart of the Tribe. We really think everybody can come to their own conclusions. So anyway, trumpets, the biblical name is Yom Teruah. Yom meaning day, Teruah meaning blowing. You can find why we celebrate this feast in Leviticus 23, verses 23 through 25. And it says, And Yahweh spoke unto Moshe, saying, Speak unto the children of Yasharel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall you have a, a Shabbat, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yahweh. Now, some traditional names or themes. And again, I'm going to hit back to, I report, you decide. Because any. it seems like almost any time we do something here in the Hebraic roots, the messy antics, the Torah community, whatever you're calling us, right? Whatever we're calling ourselves, believers, those who walk in the way, those who follow the scriptures to the best of their ability. There, There's lots, when I first came into this, you know, there were not a whole lot of us doing it. There were some who had been plowing away for quite some time. But when you looked for resources, really the only thing that you had to go by were some Judaic resources. And there are some lovely traditions there. And, and then there are things that, you know, maybe you don't see in the scripture. I've tried to include things in this teaching that I've looked in and I see the value within the tradition. And to me, there's no contradiction in scripture with the different things that I'm trying to, you know, bring forward or share from the research that I found. So I can tell you this first list that I found, I found out of a book called um, The Family Guide to the Biblical Holidays. And then what I have done is studied over it and kind of added some of my own things in there as I've studied it out. So they had a list. And, and really, when they wrote this, I first bought this book when I began to homeschool my daughter. It, it's a homeschool guide. It's like, I don't know, 500 pages or something. It's, it's a large book. And it's meant to guide you through a full year of homeschooling your child and understanding the feast and begin to incorporate that into your family. That's what it was for. And we, my daughter and I uh, purchased it for the year 2002 and began using it in that year. So anyway, the names and themes of the time period of the feast. The first thing that we come across is the name Teshuva, which means repentance. Okay, so we're getting ready to enter into a season of repentance before we come up to the fall feast. Yom Teruah, the day of awakening blast, the feast of trumpets. Yom Hadin, a day of judgment. Hamalek, the coronation day of the Mashiach. Yom Hazikaron, the day of remembrance or a memorial day. The time of Yaakov's trouble, birth pangs of the Mashiach. The opening of the gates, okay? The Kedushin or Nasuin, the wedding ceremony 
the resurrection of the dead, the last trump, shofar, the last shofar, yam hakaseh, the hidden day. Okay. Oh, good. I can see y'all's uh, comments. Um, shalom, James. Shalom, Oliver. <laughs> thank you, Laura Lee. I thank you that you like my eye report. You decide. <laughs> I really think it's the best thing we can do right now, right? <laughs> Maybe avoid some controversy. Let everybody make up their own minds on what's right for, you know, their walk with Yah, because we're all responsible for that. Okie doke. So, Yom Teruah is preceded by a 30-day period of time and an additional 10-day time period following, leading to Yom Kippur. This 40-day time span is known as the Days of Reflection and Repentance, called Teshuvah. This is the same 40-day period that Yahusha was in the desert being tested by the devil. For us this year, it began with the new moon, which occurred on the evening of August 26th of 2022. So let's look at that a little bit. In 2 Chronicles 7, verses 13 through 15, says, if I shut up heaven that there be no, no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made into this place. So teshuva involves leaving one's previous spiritual level and beginning a new phase of divine service. For teshuva involves a firm decision to abandon one's previous mode of conduct and on a deeper level remake one's personality. You know, this is this is a, a, a big deal. This time period is a big deal. And we are in a time period that is like no other. And I really believe that this season of Teshuva is very important because to be able to operate on the level that Yah wants us to operate on in the season that he has coming up, there are things that he is going to have to clear away. And when I say that, I want you to know that I'm talking about me. <laughs> All right. I mean, I am thinking so many times there is so much stuff, honestly, with my own process of getting to Teshuva, it's making me feel a bit like this. really, I'm having to dig in for myself and say, yeah, and, and I'm seeing things that I, I have got to be able to leave behind. If I don't see them, my husband's letting me know. If, if my husband doesn't let me know, I'm getting an email. If something, I mean, it's coming from every direction and I'm having to take those things and say, okay, here it is, y'all. Here's the big thing of emotions. Let me lay it before you and you tell me what you need me to deal with and, and, and be able to come up higher. What areas where I need to come up higher? Thank you, Laura Lee. She says she's feeling a bit cray of late too. That is kind of how it makes you feel, isn't it? So I wanted to look at the word 
Teshuva means to turn. It is Strong's number 7725, the word shub, right? I don't know if I'm saying it right or not. I'm doing my best with the Hebrew. So I did put it in the uh, pictograph form though. So what we can see, we've got the Shin, Avav, and the house, right? And so to turn, right? To turn. So we've got the waters. Uh, I'm sorry. The Shin is not the water. The Shin is something that consumes. So we've got, there's a, a consummation going in the house. Like, so, you know, maybe this word picture, and again, I report you decide I'm trying to feel out my way with the word picture so I can incorporate it into my own life. Right. Is, you know, so we've got chaos and we've got a connection, right. A connection to the house. The house is all about relationships, right? <laughs> because what takes place in a house relationships. This is what this whole season is about, is relationships. And boy, do I feel that everywhere and in every place, right? And so Yah is trying to get us as a people during this season to figure out how to come up higher. And I am reporting information, not telling you that I have that figured out. I have to figure that out for my own life, right? We all do. Nobody is exempt from the season of teshuva. So this is a primitive root word. It means to turn back, hence turn away. Not necessarily meaning to turn to the starting point, uh, generally to retreat. The basic meaning of the verb is moving back to the point of departure. This is really important because, you know, many of us have been on this journey for quite a while. And when we make mistakes or when we come up to a new series of, you know, obstacles, problems, pressures, things we need to work through, it isn't that everything that we've ever done was no good and needs to be thrown away. It means that we need to look back when we're feeling out of sorts, out of line and say, okay. At what point did I get off the path? At what point did I depart from where I was on the right path? And what has called my sense of dis-ease, right? My sense of, you know, this isn't comfortable. Something's wrong. There's problems going in, on in relationships. How do I get this back? You know, my prayer life is off. I'm not feeling the closeness. Whatever it is, there's, there's ways that the Ruach talks to us and tells us, okay, you've departed here. I want you to get back in line. And that's just what Yah does with us. He does it because he loves us. Okay. So the basic meaning of this verb, because it is an action, is moving back to the point of departure. In the case of spiritually returning to Yahweh, shub can mean turning from pursuing evil. So if that's the point to where you've been pursuing evil outright, yeah, it pretty is getting on a whole nother path, right? So there's a whole nother path when you begin, and then there's points of departure in the walk that we have to figure out. This is why we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. All right. So I just, this is out of the document. No matter how on the right road we may think we are, Yahweh has a way of pointing out the things we might not even consider as sin. 
The generation he brought of, out of Egypt did not enter the promised land, mainly due to complaining. Can you picture your entire fellowship suddenly being delivered by Yahweh from the slavery of this world system we're in and beginning a journey to the promised land? How many of us today could be uprooted from our homes, follow a cloud in the desert where no source of water could be seen with our crying children, having no idea how long this would last and not entertain a thought of doubt or utter a word of complaint or think that perhaps we were better qualified to lead the people than whoever y'all had appointed. Consider for a moment the story of Iov or Job, right? So in Job 1, chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before Yahweh, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? Yahweh asked Satan. Satan answered Yahweh, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then Yahweh asked Satan, have you noticed my servant, Yov? He is the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears Elohim and stays away from evil. Satan replied to Yahweh, yes, but Iov has good reason to fear Elohim. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is, but reach out and take away everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, Yahweh said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left Yahweh's presence. Okay. After being absolutely stripped by Satan, mocked and accused by his friends, this is the last thing we hear of Yahweh until he's talking directly with Yahweh. Because we know that in the story, um, Satan comes back to Yahweh and says, you know, almost and gets permission to harm his body too, right? I mean, so Job really suffered. He really, really suffered. Okay. So in Job 31, 35, it says, if only someone would listen to me, this is Job talking, he's pouring out his heart. He's been dealing with the friends who, who weren't friends, right? Who were constantly trying to tear him down and, um, and didn't believe in who he was, Right. And so he is he's been left lonely and destitute. And, you know, I'm so thankful that that's not my position. Right. I can only imagine it. But Job 31, 35, if only someone would listen to me, look, I will sign my name to my defense. Let the almighty answer me. Let my accuser write out the charges against me. He is absolutely screaming. I don't deserve this. This is not fair. Why? Why? Why, Yah? He's being bombarded with thought arrows from the enemy, planting thoughts that accuse Yah of not being just. A just Elohim would not have allowed this to happen to I to you, Iov. A just and innocent man undeserving of such treatment. Like these are the thought arrows coming right from the enemy. So then we see in chapters 38 and 39, Elohim begins to describe his creative miracles and ask Iov, do you know how to do this? 
he's reminding Ayob that he is sovereign. Okay. Those are great chapters to read. Some of my favorites. When, when I need to be checked and I know it or right-sized and I know it, when my attitude is off and I know it, I know that I can turn to Job chapter 38 and 39 and Yahweh will himself right size me with his word and he will give me an attitude adjustment <laughs> with his word. And that's a good thing. He does it because he loves us. All right. Jeremiah 10 verses 10 through 13. But Yahweh is the only true Elohim. He is the living Elohim and the everlasting king. Elohim and the everlasting king. The whole earth trembles at his anger. The nations cannot stand up to his wrath. Say this to those who worship other Elohim. Your so-called Elohims who did not make the heavens and earth will vanish from the earth and from under the heavens. But Yahweh made the earth by his power and he preserves it by his wisdom. With his own understanding, he stretched out the heavens. When he speaks in the thunder, the heavens roar with rain. He causes the clouds to rise over the earth. He sends the lightning with the rain and releases the wind from his storehouses. Wow, what a powerful scriptures to show us who he is, right? And his power. Um, then here in Iov 40, verses 1 through 8, it's titled, The Everlasting King is the Everlasting Sovereign, the Malek Olam. Then Yahweh said to Iov, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? <laughs> See what I mean about him right-sizing? You are Elohim's critic, but do you have the answers? Then Iov replied to Yahweh, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I've said too much already. I have nothing more to say. Then Yahweh answered Iov from the whirlwind, brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove you are right? The purpose of repentance is to empty ourselves of ourselves, therefore making more room for him. The result is more of his glory can be seen and experienced in the physical realm, in the earth. It reminds me of why John said to, to Yahusha, you must increase and I must decrease. You know, it, it's a great prayer for us to have is, is knowing that in order for him to have more ability to flow through us, to touch others, we have to keep decreasing ourselves. Everything I want, everything I feel, everything I think I need, you know, all those things I think I want, I feel, you know, it's all the eyes. <laughs> and, and trust me, I am preaching to myself with this word. You know, I can feel it in my own life and we should all be able to feel it in our own life because if you're human, you're experiencing this. All right. Psalm 131. Yahweh, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. 
O Yasharel, put your hope in Yahweh now and always. I mean, wow, what what a scripture. <laughs> I absolutely love that. And that's one for me to apply. <laughs> All right. So Tash Leak. Let's talk about what Tash Leak is for just a moment. Tash Leak is something that you see in um, Judaism. And, and it is a, a tradition there. I think it's a lovely tradition. I, I have a form of it in my life. It doesn't look like it does in the Jewish tradition, but I certainly see the reason for it and the significance for it. And it helps me in my life. So let me just report to you what I found about it. Um, Tashlik is a practice that comes from centuries of Jewish tradition. This happens to be a tradition I really enjoy at this time of the year and personally find enriching to my own spiritual life. After 30 days of reflection, rocks are collected according to whatever the worshiper feels is the appropriate number. I This is how I do it. I collect enough to represent the points of issue I am able to identify in my character and my life that really need to be cast away from me. After prayer, I cast those rocks into a body of water, asking and believing that Yahweh will help me to overcome my shortcomings. We all have those shortcomings, right? And, and this is really important. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't mean that I'm able to figure out everywhere that I may have an issue, everywhere that there's a problem. It means what I'm able to grasp, right? After truly seeking Yah. This is what he's decided to highlight for me. Doesn't mean that it's all that's there because by the time I come to the season again, he's going to show me more stuff. And it was there the last season too. I just wasn't ready to handle it yet. That's just how I view it, right? So I love these verses in Micah, Micah 7, 18 through 20. To me, this goes with the whole Tashlik service. And it certainly does in traditional Judaism too. Where is another Elohim like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors, Avraham and Yaakov long ago. I just think that that is beautiful. I enjoy that. And, um, and it, it, being able to do this. I, I tend to like to do this either like the day before uh, Yom Teruah, before that awakening blast or on the day of, you know, whatever feels right for you, but somewhere in the, in the season, you know, if it's something you just, de you decide you would like to incorporate into your own life if you see value in it. All right. So now let's talk about Yom, Yom Teruah. Yom Teruah celebrated in my opinion, on the dark moon, I believe that that is when the month begins. Okay. This brings us to the month of Tishri. Yeah. Laura Lee's saying, I love it. Step four. It's exactly what it is. 
We've taken an inventory, you know, and we're confessing it before Yah. And I, I do like doing it almost as a step five. If there's a trusted friend in my life that I can do this, you know, with, with someone else, then that's lovely, you know? Um, but like any of that, a trusted friend is a good thing, but if you're not there and you're alone and this needs to be something private between you and Yah is just great, right? Okay. So Yom Teruah is celebrated on the dark moon when the new month begins. This brings us to the month of Tishri. We are now beginning the 10 days of awe before Yom Kippur. Five days after Yom Kippur begins the Feast of Booths, um, also known as Sukkot or Tabern Tabernacles. So this is how I break down the feast in, in my life, you know, where I'm looking at. I've got the month of Elul, which is a time of repentance. Yom Teruah, that repentance to me should have been complete by then. It, I should have been able to say, I've done this, you know, check right? Yom Kippur is all about Yah's redemption for his people. I, that's how I see this in the scripture. And hopefully as we go forward on some more teachings, I'll be able to share a little bit more about that. And then Sukkot is known as our season of joy. There's a reason to, to be rejoicing. These things have been dealt with. Things have been set right. Yah has set things right, and we we are practicing every year that we do this. We are practicing to me for His final fulfillment when it all comes about, right? So let's look at Genesis one, uh, verse fourteen. And Elohim said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and years. So this word signs is oat. It means a signal, a flag, a, a signpost. Seasons is the word moed, and it means divine appointments with Elohim. Daniel, let's look at Daniel chapter 7, verses 20, uh, verse 25. And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. So Hasatan attempts to change time by deceiving us as to what time is. How do you think the church has lost the importance of Yah's biblical scriptural calendar? It's all through deception. He wants us ignorant of the times that we live in. He wants us to miss the signs and signals of Yahweh. The feasts are how Yahweh communicates to us what time it is so that we won't be caught unaware. So this Yom Hizakaron in the land of Yasharel and in Judaism, it is a traditional day of remembrance or a memorial. Okay. This year it took place on May 3rd and 4th of 2022. It's a day of blowing to remember those who died in the war of independence, much like our Memorial Day in America. However, because of the trumpets, there's an association with the Feast of Yon Teruah, as mentioned above, because they, they blow the trumpets on this one. This comes from Judaism. You know, you can see it's at a total different time of the year, and it really equates more to, like I said, it's to honor their soldiers. Okay. 
Hi, Sue. <laughs> I'm so glad uh, that you are, are enjoying it, enjoying finding the dates. All righty. So the shofar um, has the sound of a human cry. We blow the shofar as a cry to our Elohim, as a, as a plea to please remember us. There's some great videos, and I know I have a Mercy Poured Forth scheduled to play um, very close to Yom Teruah that kind of explains those, those cries. Um, numbers 10, 9 and 10. And if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresseth you, then you shall blow an alarm with the trumpets and you shall be remembered before Yahweh, your Elohim, and you shall be saved from your enemies also in the day of your gladness and in your solemn days. And in the beginnings of your month, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings that they may be to you for a memorial before your Elohim. I am Yahweh, your Elohim. Malachi 3, 6 through 18. Then they that feared Yahweh spoke often to one another, and Yahweh hearkened, and he heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared Yahweh, and that thought upon his name, and they shall be mine, saith Yahweh Zavaot, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth Elohim and him that serveth him not. Wow, I love it that that book of remembrance, Yah, when Yah hears us, when we are speaking with one another to, you know, share about his goodness. And he says, write it down. <laughs> I want this memorial written down. They were talking about me. They were exalting me. I want as much of that written in the book as possible. All right. Yom Teruah, the day of awakening blast, the feast of trumpets. Let's look at Numbers 29.1. And in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work. It is a day of the blowing the trumpets unto you. Teruah is what we're looking at here. So in the Strongs, it's number H8643, and it means a battle cry to blow an alarm. And so you can see, I put it in the pictograph here for you. It starts with the letter that represents like a sign, a covenant. It's a, it's a, a tov. And then we've got a resh, like, you know, for how man's mind is thinking or thought process or the chief or a prince, you know, a decision, a, a strong decision, maybe connected to what we see, um, uh, what our eyesight shows us and behold, right? So very interesting here. We'll have to work on that word picture. You know, everybody at the heart of the tribes is getting so good at these that um, it'll be interesting. I know Lee and Kat are, are talking about teaching on Yom Teruah this coming Friday on their show, Blood of the Lamb. That starts at 4 p.m. EST. And I believe at 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 p.m. if you're over in the UK. So um, I'm sure that they will be uh, also, they'll probably show a great word picture for this. I hope so. I'll be watching to see too. All right. Zephaniah chapter one, verses 14 through 18. The great day of Yahweh is near. 
It is near and hasteth greatly, even the voice of the day of Yahweh. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced city and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against Yahweh and their blood shall be poured out as dust and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of Yahweh's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. Wow. All right. So now let's take a look at Yom Ha-Din, the day of judgment. Hello, Pharaon. Thank you for joining us. Good to see you here. Um, first Corinthians four eighteen. for if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? Psalm 47, five Elohim has gone up with a shout. Yahweh with the sound of the trumpet. Looking at first Thessalonians four sixteen. for Yahweh himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of Elohim and the dead in Mashiach shall rise first. I believe that this verse indicates the dead Mashiach rise on Yom Teruah. Again, I report, you decide. <laughs> Just my opinion. So Psalm 89, 14 and 15. You know, it's so funny because when it when we come to talking about eschatology, um, people have such strong opinions and, and we're all entitled to those, but we shouldn't be beating each other up over them at this time on the earth. We really have a bigger enemy. And if we are fighting each other, it is really difficult for us to fight the enemy. And so we've got to have some grace and mercy for each other and our various opinions. On uh, So let's look at Psalm 89, 14 and 15. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Yahweh, in the light of thy countenance. Countenance. The joyful sound, okay, so the, the joyful sound is teruah. So we could say that the that ble, that blessed are the people who know the sounds of the different blast of the shofar and what they mean. Uh, thank you, Lee and James, and th thank you, Sue. So there are some um, different sounds to Kia, the one long straight blast. Um, there's a, a Shevarim, which is three wailing sounds. Okay, so let's look at this to Kia. There's the, it, it's like Elohim is all powerful. Elohim is the creator. Elohim is the sustainer. Elohim is the supervisor. In short, Elohim is king of the universe. On Yom Teruah, we honor Yahusha and crown him as our king, the king of our hearts, right? Tekiah is, it's a long, but not the longest. It's a long shofar blast. Um, it's a straight shofar blast. It's not broken in any way. And to me, it's like, be aware the king has arrived. The king is being crowned, right? And it's a—it's definitely like a call to attention. 
Next comes what's described as the Shevarim. So the Shevarim is a blast that's broken three times. It's like, you know, one, two, three. Okay. It's three medium wailing sounds. And when we think about the year gone by, right, we know deep down that we have failed in some aspect to live up to our full potential. In the coming year, we are yearning not to waste opportunities that are presented to us. It's a heart cry of repentance. It's a, y'all hear, hear us, hear our hearts, you know, and help us to do better. Then we have the Teruah. The Teruah is like a broken cry, okay? There's nine quick blasts in short succession. Uh, it's a definite crying sound. On Yom Teruah, we need to wake up and be honest and objective about our lives, who we are, where we've been, and what direction are we headed in. The Teruah sound, the nine quick blast in short succession, resembles an alarm clock, arousing us from our spiritual slumber. The shofar brings clarity, alertness, and focus. I, did, I don't have this in the document, but as I've been reflecting about this, I've been really thinking about it in as where as repentance and our shortcomings fall because our shortcomings don't just affect us. <laughs> when we miss the mark, it doesn't just affect us. It, it's always about relationship. You know, this is why I, you know, it's, Yahusha summed up that law, you know, to love Yah with all your heart, your mind and your soul and your soul and your strength, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I mean, he, he said it in such a simple statement, but is there a harder statement that could be made, right? Because it means dying to self and it means being able to admit mistakes and being able to say, I'm sorry, and being able to be humble. And I don't know about you, but my pride gets in the way of every one of those things, you know? And so those blasts, those nine blasts that cry out, I can hear in that the cry of others where I have fallen short and it has hurt them. That's just reality. It happens every year. And I can hear that within that. You know, this is why it's important for me to do what I can to try to repair things. You know, sometimes it's successful. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes there's things that can't be undone. Sometimes I just have to cast those burdens at the feet of Yah because there's not much I can do about them. Right? Thank you, Laura Lee. I really, I really appreciate that. So. Then there is actually a fourth blast that I should have put in here. Um, and I'm going to have to check my document now. I'm sorry, Kat. <laughs> but to make sure that I've got this, because the fourth blast is what's called, um, it, it's a Gadol Tekia, which it is a one long blast to like clear the air of it all right? To be done with it. 
and say, okay, the air has been cleared. In fact, I'm going to give it a nice long blast right now. I love my shofar. Some friends that make shofars gave this to me a long time. It's shaped a little different, but you know, it is perfect for me. You can really see that, that ram's horn, right? <laughs> yep. Let me see if I can do it. All right. <laughs> okay. Going on. So now let's take a look at why this is also connected to the time of Yaakov's trouble, birth pains of the Mashiach. Okay. Jeremiah 30, verses 6 and 7. Ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Yaakov's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Ah, oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Yahweh. Isaiah 13, 6 through 8. Howl ye, for the day of Yahweh is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travails. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Let's look at Daniel 12, verses 1 and 2. And at that time shall Mikael stand up, the great prince withstandeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Zephaniah 1, 14 through 16. It's described as that terrible day of Yah, Yah, that terrible day of Yahweh is near. Swiftly it comes, a day of bitter tears. A day when even strong men will cry out. It will be a day when Yahweh's anger is poured out. A day of terrible distress and anguish. A day of ruin and desolation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness. A day of trumpet calls and battle cries. Down go the walled cities and the strongest battlements. Okay. The resurrection of the dead. Let's look here. It's Isaiah 26, 19 through 21. I believe personally, again, I report you decide that there is a connection to this portion of scripture as being the song of the lamb. I'm seeing it as an eight day, an eight day song. Okay, it's described as a song and I'm going to do a mercy port for soon all about that. In fact, it's going to I, I've already recorded it and it's going to air during Sukkot. So if you want to learn about the eight songs found in the um, Torah and prophets, <laughs> this is the eighth song 
in that succession of lists. Okay. So here's a portion of it. Isaiah 26, 19 through 21. But those who die in Yahweh will live. Their bodies will rise again. Those who sleep in the earth will rise up and sing for joy. For your life-giving light will fall like dew on your people and the place of the dead. Go home, my people, and lock your doors. Hide yourselves for a little while until Yahweh's anger has passed. Look, Yahweh's coming from heaven to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will no longer hide those who have been killed. They will be brought out for all to see. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Yahusha died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Yahusha returns, Elohim will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from Yahweh. We who are still living when Yahweh returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For Yahweh himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of Elohim. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain in the, on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet Yahweh in the air. Then we will be with Yahweh forever. So encourage each other with these words. You know, I find this so interesting because this deals with the theme of the rapture, right? Or the resurrection. Some people call it rapture. Some people call it resurrection. And again, it's all tied up in what people's opinions on their particular eschatological beliefs really are about how things play out in the end. You know, all I can do is, is share with you what I see in the scriptures. And it's so funny. This is what I find because there's so much controversy that comes along with this whole thought process that to me, we're almost missing the bigger picture because no, what, no matter what you or I believe about how that plays out, it says the very last thing we're instructed to do is encourage each other with these words. To me, we're missing the most important part. We're supposed to be encouraging one another with this event that's going to play, take place. And instead, it's become a huge issue of contention. And people are ready to just rip people's throats out over, over their opinion about it. Rather, I, I'm not seeing the encouragement. The encouragement is a day is coming <laughs> where, where this will happen and that our Mashiach will return for us, right? That day is coming. And we are to encourage each other about that, especially when things are hard and difficult. All right, so now let's look at this one. Yom Hakaseh, the hidden day. In Jewish tradition, the appointment with Elohim takes place on the new moon of the seventh month, known as Tishri. In Jerusalem, watchers were appointed to watch. Okay, this is how it was done long ago. 
um, the sliver of the new moon had to be had to be spotted. Now, at heart of the tribe, we do follow the dark moon understanding. We've studied this out, and this is what we believe. But this is the history that I'm teaching, and how traditional Judaism still looks at it today. Okay, I report. You decide. Okay, the day was known within a 48 hour or two day time frame. The moon would appear once most people are in bed asleep. So after the watchers spotted it, then it was relayed throughout Israel that the appointment had begun. Most people didn't know for sure until it was half over. <laughs> All right. Mark 13, 26 through 37 says, then everyone will see the son of man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the heaven and earth of, of earth and heaven. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree when its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout. You know that summer is near in the same way. When you see all these things taking place, you can know that his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the son himself. Only the father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard, stay alert. The coming of the son of man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do. And he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch for you don't know when the master of the household will return in the evening at midnight before dawn or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. All right, moving on to the opening of the gates. You can see a huge connection to this portion um, of Psalm 24 to Isaiah 26. It's got some of the same wording. And so you can see both of their connection also, you know, with this time period. So Psalm 24, seven through 10 says, open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors and let the King of glory enter. Who is the King of glory? Yahweh, strong and mighty. Yahweh, invincible in battle. Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the king of glory enter. Who is the king of glory? Yahweh Zavaot. He is the king of glory. In case you're not familiar with that term, Yahweh Zavaot, what does that, if I translated it in an English edition, it would say the Lord of the host of army angels, right? If I tried to give a translation, of course, I, I know his name to and believe his name to be Yahweh. And then I love it in the Hebrew. I like using the Hebrew as much as I can because I believe it is how the how Yah chose 
the language that he chose to sing all of creation into existence. And I also believe, according to Zephaniah 3, 9, that he is going to restore that pure language in that day to his people. And so I'd already like to be learning it because if if this is what he decided that he wanted to sing all of creation into existence with, I want to know it better because I want to know him better. Okay, now let's look at Yom Teruah to Yom Kippur. Daniel 9, uh, I'm sorry, Daniel 7, 9 through 14 says, I watched as thrones were put in place and the ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels blazing fire, and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session, and the books were opened. I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a little a while longer. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world, so that the people of every race, nation, and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. This is speaking of our Mashiach, right? Okay, Revelation 5, 11 through 13. Then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Then and then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and on and under the earth and in the sea. They sang. Blessing and honor and and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. So we see a song of the lamb in the Besarah also, right? Revelation 20, 11 through 12. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it, the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead both great and small, standing before Elohim's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. All right, here's another aspect of this feast. It's called Kedushin or Nesu'in, the wedding ceremony. One of the most powerful stories given for our understanding of the marriage of the son of Elohim and the remnant is when Avraham sends his servant to find a bride for his son Yitzhak. Rebecca agrees to go with Eleazar to become uh, Yitzhak's wife, even though she had never seen him. So in Genesis 24, 57 through 58, and they said, we will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. And they called Rebecca and said unto her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. 
<laughs> it's beautiful. A beautiful response for a, a bride to be, right? Okay, so 1 Peter 1, 8 through 12. You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Ruach of Mashiach within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Yahusha's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Ruach HaKadosh sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. This is so beautiful to me. This is so meaningful to me. You know, we really are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and they delight in writing it down when we speak to one another encouragement concerning the love and faithfulness of Yahweh. What we do matters. You know, I think that this really is the heart of what Kat was trying to bring forth on her mercy poured forth this morning. It was such a beautiful message. What we do matters. I mean, it is judged. I believe that this, all this is kind of going in that same theme. It's not that we can earn salvation as she was very clear about, you know, that's not what it's about, but what our choices do matter. <laughs> All right, let's look at Luke 14, 16 through 23. Okay, then said he unto him, a certain, <laughs> thank you, Nina. <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. Then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden come for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I just married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant said, so that servant, Okay, wait a minute. I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Adonai these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, master, it is done as thou has commanded. And yet there is room. And the master said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. This is so, so beautiful to me. This is why it's so important that any time that I have the urge to point my finger, 
I better look at the three pointing at myself. Yahweh has such a great love for his creation and all those that he has created. And we've got to remember that his ways are higher than our ways, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that he has made a way of repentance, that he's made a way to set things straight with him, right? And we can't be such harsh judges of one another on what one another's intents and thoughts. And, and, and it's so hard because our emotions get all wrapped up in it. It's, I, I'm, I'm not, preaching as much as I'm sharing my own personal thoughts and journey about this. Okay. So I want everyone to know that <laughs> I have to be very clear about that. I don't come to you as someone who has all the answers. I come to you in humility as someone who's willing to share my heart and say, I have to struggle my way through these things. And I hope that my willingness to share honestly and open with you in a public forum helps and encourages you and strengthens you and helps you to feel like you're not the only one and to feel less lonely and to be encouraged in your own journey. This is my whole purpose of doing what I do at this time on the earth. To me, that's what it's all about. All right. So he wants his house to be filled. And, and when I think about me, most of my life, you know, especially, you know, prior to salvation. And I think sometimes even afterwards, most of, of my life, people would have looked at me and said, I was a lost cause, that I wasn't worth it, <laughs> you know, that I wouldn't have been welcome in their congregation, their church, you know, whatever, because I, I did not look like I belonged and I didn't look like I would be redeemable. You know, I always say, I, I think Satan thought I was a sure bet, <laughs> but I wasn't because y'all had other plans for me. Thank you, Brian. I really appreciate that. Okay, so let's go on and look at Revelation. All right. And I can tell you, you guys can tell, it's hard for me to do this sometimes because I feel it. I feel every inch of it. Okay. There's nothing fake about what I'm doing right here. I'm not trying to get clicks. I'm not trying to get likes. I'm not trying to build a kingdom. <laughs> I'm trying to share with those who have an ear that they want to hear in a way that Yah has given me to bring forth what he's given me to bring forth. Okay. 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 Wipe my eyes a little bit. <laughs> Revelation 19, seven through nine. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife has made herself ready. This is what it's all about. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of Elohim. <laughs> Brian, you don't know how much I appreciate that today. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Brian put up a comment that said, you just being yourself as a servant of Yah. I really do appreciate that. I appreciate every kind word that's spoken to me. I really do. All right. Revelation 19, 14 through 16. 
And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations and shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty, of Almighty Elohim. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings. And Adonai of Adonaiim. You know, I even like to say the Malek of Melechaim and the Adonai of Adonaiim. Now, when I look at that and I think about that, I ask myself the question, why did he put it in two separate ways? And to me, because I I see him addressing earthly authority. And I see in King of Kings, right? Those who have been lifted up and placed in a position of kingship on the earth, whether it's called president or monarch or prime minister or or king, right? That I'm seeing that. And I'm seeing the Adonai of Adonaiim. What I see there is powers and principalities that rule those kings and those leaders like puppets, right? Okay. Nothing supersedes his authority. All right. Excuse me. Okay. Matthew 22, 1 through 14. Yahusha also told them other parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them the feast has been repaired. Now, do you see this? This to me is a really, 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 really important point and kind of a crux of my own belief system. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. You know, Yasharel is described as the tree right? You know, whether it's the fig tree, whether it's the olive tree, you know, I mean, he compares us to that olive tree. He calls us like the fruit on, you know, we've got the fruit of the, on of being on the vine. To me, this is explaining the fact when it says they all refuse to come. I believe when we look at that in our humanity, we've got to understand that every single branch was broken off and to be part of the household of Yasharel means a regrafting into that tree. And for me, I report you decide, but to me, that applies to all. When it says all, I believe it means all. Okay. All right. So they refused, they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guest he had invited ignored them and went their own way. One to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guest, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding 
friend, he asked, how is it that you were here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Wow. And I wish I had a great, you know, deal of wisdom to share with you about that. But quite honestly, I'm still pondering that passage. I'm still meditating on it. And so I'm just going to leave the word to say what the word says. I'm reporting the word. You decide. <laughs> All right. Now, Hamalek. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. This, uh, my friend Lee says, absolutely beautiful when we can share our vulnerability our vulnerabilities to encourage each other. Love your Ruach that shines with the light of Messiah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Okay. Ha-Malek, the coronation day of the Mashiach. Psalm 98, six through nine. With trumpets and the sound of the ram's horn, make a joyful symphony before Yahweh the king. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the earth and all living things join in. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee. Let the hills sing out their songs of joy before Yahweh, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with fairness. So I was looking at this and there are four parts to the enthronement of a king. You know, I, I was looking to see when is the enthronement of uh, King Charles III going to take place. And it looks like it wasn't scheduled. When I was looking in the past, it, it looks like even when Queen Elizabeth was um, her her coronation service, right? You know, he became king immediately, but the coronation service, um, even for, um, for Queen Elizabeth, took almost 18 months somewhere around that time frame to actually take place. So they haven't announced any anything, but I just found it interesting looking at the enthronement of our king, right? Um, there are four parts to the enthronement of a king. A decree is made. So Psalm 2, 6 through 7 says, For Yahweh declares, I've placed my chosen king on the throne in Yerushalayim on my holy mountain. The king proclaims Yahweh's decree. Yahweh said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Wow, so interesting right there in Psalms 2. So another part, authority is given. And Genesis 49.10 says, the scepter will not depart from Yahuda, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. All right. I believe that this is future. We've never seen all the nations honor anyone. Right. But they will all honor Yahusha when he takes up that staff and 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 throne. Right. Hebrews one uh, verse eight says, but to the son, he says, your throne, O Elohim, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. Second Samuel five, three. So there at Hebron. King David made a covenant before Yahweh with all the elders of Yasharel, and they anointed him king of Yasharel. All right, so here's another part, acclamation or anointing. 1 Kings 11, uh, verse 12. And he brought forth the king's son and put the crown upon him and gave him the testimony, and they made him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, Elohim, save the king. 
Now, dictionary.com says acclamation is an idiom by acclamation by an oral vote, often unanimous, expressing approval by shouts, hand clapping rather than by formal uh, ballot. So it's just like giving this, you know, round of applause, right? Very interesting. Uh, here's another part. An allegiance is given to this king. Fidelity, following him wholeheartedly, being faithful to him. Psalms 50 verses 4 and 5 says, He calls on the heavens above and earth below to witness the judgment of his people. Bring my faithful people to me, those who made a covenant with me by giving sacrifices. Also, Psalm 47 is a coronation psalm for King Yahusha. Come, everyone, clap your hands, shout to Elohim with joyful praise. For Yahweh Most High is awesome. He is the great king of all the earth. He subdues the nations before us, putting our enemies beneath our feet. He chose the promised land as our inheritance, the proud possession of Yaakov's descendants, whom he loves. Elohim has ascended with a mighty shout. Yahweh has ascended with trumpets blaring. Sing praises to Elohim. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For Elohim is the king over all the earth. Praise him with a psalm. Elohim reigns above the nations, sitting on his holy throne. The rulers of the world have gathered together with the people of Elohim of, of Avraham. For all the kings of the earth belong to Elohim. He is highly honored everywhere. Wow, am I looking forward to that, <laughs> to seeing him being honored everywhere in the way that he deserves. All right. Well, I just wanted to share that uh, document with you and, and encourage you in your personal preparation of your own heart for this in this season of Tashlik, getting us ready for our fall feast to enter in to the fullness of what it all means for all of us. And I hope it was a blessing to you. So may Yahweh keep you and bless you. May his, make his face to shine upon you, lift his countenance upon you and give you of his peace. Shalom. You can see it in the movies, in the paper, and the TV news. Somebody's army is always on the move. There's gonna be a battle, the lines have been drawn. They got guns and tanks and planes. The wells are gone dry, and the water is bad, and the air is acid rain. There's a rumbling in the ground and they're talking about the 